Welcome to Episode 7 of the eight-part Harvey Hunt series on the Warrior Next Door podcast, where we follow the experiences of Marine Corporal Harvey Hunt as he fights across four island battlefields of the Pacific during World War II. In Episode 6, we heard about Harvey's experience fighting across Iwo Jima. Join us now as Harvey discusses more about his experience on Iwo Jima. This is the Warrior Next Door podcast, where we're going to feature interviews that were collected, conducted by Ryan Fairfield and myself, Tony Lupo, for the Veterans History Project at the Library of Congress. The um, focus of this podcast is not going to be on world leaders or events that led to World War II. It's not going to be about general strategy. It's going to be about the everyday GI soldiers and their experience. Welcome to our journey. You know, one of the questions I have, I've always wondered about this, you know, the guys such as yourself who've went, gone through, you know, four uh, pretty major battles and, you know, you were wounded, but still you made it through. Um, was there something that you did that, that, I mean, was there something you figured out that helped your self-preservation in terms of how you moved around on the island no. Or, or other things that other guys did that were it's, a little more it's, careless. It's just luck. It's just luck. My yes. goodness. Yeah. Uh, you know, you you're walking up or advancing, and the guy next to you gets shot. It could just as easily have been you. So it, it has no. It's just probabilities. That's all it is. So except no, for old Leroy Surface. Now he asked for it. He stood up and. Yeah. He was shooting like he was shooting rabbits, and you don't do that. You know that's foolish. Did he do that on Ewo? No, he did that on uh, Tinian. On Tinian? Did, did he, did you say that? Could you describe that again? Could I think you, you got that on camera. Yeah, I think you told us that before we started filming. Can you tell us that story again about the sergeant using the bazooka? Oh, well, we were being counterattacked on Tinian. And the Japs were coming, but they were also had their tanks coming. And the, the guy that had the bazooka, I don't know whether he was afraid to go or whether he didn't want to or whatever, but he wouldn't go. And Leroy Surface was our platoon guide, which means he's the guy that carries a guide on <laughs> when you're marching. But uh, he said, well, let me have that bazooka. And he said, somebody want to be the ammunition carrier? So I need somebody to help me with the ammunition. So this kid that was the assistant bazooka man said, I'll go. So they took off, and they went right up there within, I'd say, 30 feet of the tank. It was all, the hatches were all down. They were firing their machine guns. But, oh, Leroy, he goes up there, and, and uh, now you've got to realize we're in kind of a cane field. And he goes up and bangs that tank right where the driver sits, mm. and it stopped, and the gooks were all on top of it. Mm-hmm. And all the tanks, they were riding the tanks, I guess, so they could get there quicker. And over there, oh, he just got, and that caused the other two tanks to stop behind him. He goes and just bangs the next two. Wow. So he just, he just picks them both off, all he three of them. all off. three of them off. Yeah. And then he came back, and of course, the gooks were everywhere. Mm-hmm. And he, he's standing, oh, I don't know, probably. 10, 15 feet of me, and he was standing up, 
you know, and we were in a foxhole, and he was standing up. He said, I got one, I got one, I got one, you know, wow. just like that. And of course, I got wounded, so I didn't see him get killed, but they told me after I got back to company, he got killed that night. So go ahead. Yeah. So <clears throat> Ryan and I both looked up the citation uh, for Leroy's service. Yeah. So, so let me read briefly the, the, the citation. Uh, he got cita- citated for uh, fearlessly leaving his foxhole during a severe enemy counterattack the first night ashore in Tinian. Private surface pursued and disabled two hostile light tanks, actually three, boldly exposing himself to formidable Japanese fire to carry out his dangerous mission. Uh, which which story has a little more color to it? The one from the citation or the one you just heard? And this <laughs> First-hand is first-hand account. Absolutely, and this this is the part of the interview process that I really enjoy as well. Is when you have overlapping stories that you know mutually support each other. Mm-hmm. And so I hope somewhere out there, uh, you know, relatives of Leroy Surface will have a chance to listen to this because you know they've got the military version of what happened. We have the boots on the ground version of what happened, and the boots on the ground version is much more uh, colorful, much more descriptive. And the citation here doesn't say that it was posthumous or anything, uh, but apparently, you know, Harvey said he got wounded, and after he got wounded, apparently Leroy was killed, you yeah. know. So, um, man, just uh, burly guys, <clears throat> yep. you know. Was he decorated for his actions? Got him a silver star. So, like a one man wrecking machine. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But he, he just all of a sudden he decided he's going to take. <laughs> so was there was there any indication that he was capable of that during training or anything like that? No, he was a pretty quiet old boy. No know? kidding. Yeah. He just yeah. he just he was a sergeant. Yeah. He'd been a sergeant for quite some time, but uh... wow, that's amazing. So yeah. so back on Ewo. Oh, I was just gonna I was gonna ask you um, how. You know, how are you able to function and not be scared to death or petrified of dying all the time? I've always marveled at guys who, some guys just well, can't handle it, and some guys... you It's a buddy system. Yeah, of course, you're aware of that. But if you're told to move and you don't move, then the guy that you're in charge of is not going to move. So if you get up and go forward, the people underneath you will get up and go forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody's got to start it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's up to the squad leader or whoever mm-hmm. to get up and go. For you, was a you know was it obviously a constant fear of dying? Well. Or is that the sort you know, of you, you know, it's a, you can get killed instantly, but you, you can't be concerned about getting killed all the time because you're not going to be able to do your job. You got you got certain things you have to do, and uh, if you're worried about that, you're not going to get your job done. Mm-hmm. You know, you, circumstances, you know, the probabilities are ridiculous. We were in a foxhole. Uh, we dug in, and the guy that I dug in with. We dug our foxhole, and another guy, and he was a replacement. This is about two weeks after we were ashore. He walks up and is talking to us about those Japs can't kill me, they can't do this. And he stepped on the minefield and blew both his legs off, both his arms off. 
and you know, throw him 30 feet in the air. We, we dug in in the minefield. <laughs> you know, that's circumstances. And the guy and I, we'd been all around that area, you know. We'd gone and got ammunition, we'd gone and got rations, and we'd done all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And now it, it didn't happen to us. And he comes up and just visiting with us and steps on the cut and picks him up. Mm -hmm. And he hadn't been there three days. Mm -hmm. Yep, you know, we'd been in three battles before that, and, and he that's his first battle, and wham. And he's a married man, had two children. You know, this is the sort of thing that I'm, I'm sure everyone out there that's listening to this has seen Band of Brothers. And um, there's the episode with Private Blythe where he suffers hysterical blindness from, you know, basically, uh, you know, being in battle and uh, um, having this affliction where he, you know, loses his sight. Um, and there's a very poignant scene in there where Lieutenant Spears tells him that you can't function as a soldier until you realize you're dead. Basically, accept the fact that you're not going to survive and get over that, and just that will allow you to do your job. And um, this is exactly what he's talking about here also. Mm. How do you do that? You know, we've interviewed fellows who um, who struggled with the idea of the fact, could they kill someone, you know? And, um, you know, there's a, there's a fellow that we'll, we'll do a story on, you know, eventually, very compelling interview. He's in the European theater in the in one of these M8 armored cars. And the agonizing struggle he dealt with on his own privately about whether or not he was actually going to have to kill someone. Um, but, you know, these personal struggles, accepting the fact that you're just, there's a bullet out there with my name on it, and until it meets me, I've got to just do my job. Well, in addition to that, um, how can someone like Harvey watch a man get his arms and legs blown off and thrown 30 feet in the air and, and just, just keep, keep moving on. And on top of that, he's telling us this as kind of a, a side story. I mean, th th this, this wasn't even something that he, he wanted to focus or, or, or share about. We're at this point in the interview, you know, he's kind of, we're asking him questions about overcoming fear and the buddy system and, how can you tell if some guys have it in them and some don't? And if, if you watch his face on the interview on the Veterans History Project uh, webpage, you'll see him kind of like, kind of like shake his head a little bit, like, "Oh yeah, I got this thing that I can tell them that will reinforce my point." And this thing is this horrifically violent, bloody event. Mm -hmm. It makes you wonder to me when I was watching this how many other horrifically violent, bloody things that he saw that were stashed away that he couldn't talk about or that he just you know, didn't talk about during the course of this interview. Cause this was just kind of a, uh, well, to reinforce my point, let me tell you about this guy that I saw who got blown into pieces. So I, I that was another part of this that, that struck me during the interview. Yeah. I mean, I think we only scratched, it was only the tip of the iceberg of what Harvey has seen over there, you know, and everything. And there's a lot that he spared us and that's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I wanted, we want, we want to document stories of these guys preserve their words, you know, the, their stories in their own words. And, uh, um, yeah. So, uh, every once in a while, you know, we, we, we come across these, these, these true, true warriors that 
had seen more than their fair share of horrific things in history right in front of their eyes. So we'll pick it up here and we'll keep moving. Hmm. That's towards the end of the war. Mm -hmm. They really got, they were taking anybody they could get, mm -hmm. really. That's how come we lined up those, they said they lied, but I think the Marine Corps just took them for, man, you know, had that manpower and they took them. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, uh, Ahiwo, if I remember correctly, the the mission was to, it's kind of looked like a pork chop, was to yep. cut the island in half, take Sarabachi, and then put then turn around and push all the way up the island. We, Is that correct? Yeah, well, the first thing we did, we went inshore, and they wanted to get in Modiyama number one airport. Mm -hmm. That was our objective. The uh, 25th objective was Sarabachi and to cross the island. Then they turned and came up, and then we turned, and we were spread out across the island. And we both advanced towards the other end of the island. And, but when uh, we took the first airport, and the CBs got out there, well, the guy driving a cat tractor pulling a, a sheep foot, which is a deal of com compacts of dirt, and, uh, he was going up and down, and now then they'd be a round around and firing at him. Heck, he hit him on and turned his tractor over. Wow. Wow. Away, yeah. yeah. So there what doesn't sound there's too many safe spots on the island. No, because they could reach it anywhere. Yeah, because it was small. That small island, two and a half miles long and probably a mile wide at the mile. Well, it could have been four miles long, I guess. It, it wasn't a lot of ground. You know, in the Marine Corps, you didn't maneuver. It was just head on. Just walk into it. Yeah, you, well, you just advanced into a period. You, you couldn't maneuver. There wasn't any way to maneuver. But we had come back for a couple of days off, and we were dug in near this airport. And about this time, here comes this B-29. We, we saw quite a few of them land out there off the off the island into the water. But here comes this one in, and he lands, and he's coming down that runway like, you know what? Hmm. And he gets to the end, and he turns it into a revetment, runs the nose right into, they had fighter revetments they'd built. It. He turns that old 29 right into that revetment, and that stopped it. Boy, they came out of that thing like, just plowed out of it. Gasoline was dripping everywhere. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> they were piling out of that airplane and of course it no more than stopped and they got out of it. Japs tried to hit it then. Yeah. But they never did. It was sat there for quite a while. Hmm. But then after the battle was over with, they brought the P fifty ones in. Hmm. And they didn't have uh asphalt runways. They had what they call crush rock, but there's a lot of dirt in with that crush rock. And those 51s would take off two at a time. And they'd make just a dust cloud when they took off. Take you five minutes before you can. But that, I really, I really enjoyed the side of those 51s. I yeah. stop it. There was a phone ring in the, in the background there and stuff, but uh, there's a lot he talked about there. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, the men who served on Iwo Jima, they were told that it was for the B-29s. And they knew that one way to hasten the end of the war was to bomb the Japanese homeland into submission. 
And there's a lot of firsthand personal accounts about the the runways being built and occupied by B-29s and P-51s. And in fact, from Donald Miller's book, he writes on, on March 4th, a Sunday, the Marines around the airfield got an unexpected visitor, a quote-unquote monster landed on Ewo. And this may be the same one that Harold speaks, or that, that Harvey speaks of. He said, this was an Air Force slang for a B-29. The plane, named Dynamite, <laughs> developed fuel problems. Rather unfortunate name. <laughs> exactly, Dynamite. <laughs> developed fuel problems on its way back from Japan, and uh, after it skirted past Suribachi, uh, it slammed down and skidded to a stop at the end of the runway, less than half the size of the one it had taken off from the Marianas. And what, what what the soldiers saw next was the hatch opened, and four or five crew members jumped down and fell to their hands and knees and kissed the runway. <laughs> Another Marine recalls, what a contrast. Here were men so glad to be on the island they were kissing it. A mile or two to the north were three Marine divisions who thought the ground wasn't even good enough to spit on. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so so anyone who fought on Iwo is going to talk about the B-29s because that was, as the French say, the raison d'etre, the reason why they were there. This concludes Episode 7 of 8 in the Harvey Hunt series on the Warrior Next Door podcast. Join us next time for Episode 8, the final episode in this series where Harvey reflects on his time in the service and his post-war life. Well, thanks for joining us. If you like what you hear, please like us at the Warrior Next Door podcast Facebook page. Feel free to post your questions, and we'll try to answer them in the next series of interviews that we do. All of our interviews are archived at the Veterans History Project Library of Congress and also with our partner at Grand Valley State University in Allendale, Michigan. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.